Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. I don't want to single anybody out, of course, because I wouldn't do that. But my throat has been scratchy this morning, and somebody made this coffee, and it is fantastic. And I just want to know who did it. Nobody's raising, somebody, you could raise your hand even if you didn't do it, and then you get credit for it. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep this up here because this stuff is just, normally when you, you know, you go to a place, a coffee's not great. I mean, this stuff right here is just tremendous. So I'm hoping that it's still percolating back there so I can have some at the, uh, at the lunch. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I bring you greetings from Tennessee which is where I'm from. Any Tennesseans in the room? All right, good. Good. Nobody. Wonderful. Um, yep. Starting off on a good note. So if you got your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. We're grateful for Greg Abel's, incredibly grateful for a number of reasons. One of them is your consistent prayer support. I saw up here on the screen that you said pray for Nepal and pray specifically for B.J. Gamal and his family. He is our regional coordinator in Nepal for pastor training. Pastor Justin is working with him. Thank you for your prayers and for the entire ministry of Catalyst Missions. It's a blessing that you lift us up in prayer, that you support the ministry, and that you're directly involved with our South Asia project. So thank you for that. And uh, it's just a blessing to come this morning and be able to preach the word to you. Uh, if you want a little bit of info about me, it's just so you uh, won't feel like we're complete strangers. Uh, I am married. My wife's name is Ashley. We have four boys, um, eight and under. So you know how to pray for me. And, um, and we have another one on the way. So now you really know how to pray for me. So, I, but we are hoping that this is a girl. We're praying for that. So anyway, uh, if you got your Bibles, Psalm 67, I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. And as they did in the day of Nehemiah, when the word of the Lord was read, they stood. So let's stand up as we read God's word together. Psalm chapter 67. Let me get there as well. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Let's pray together before we dive into God's word. Lord, you are infinitely worthy. Jesus, we proclaim and believe and confess that you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords and you deserve the praise of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Lord, I pray that our hearts this morning would be set ablaze for the glory of Christ. 
and that as a result of delighting ourselves in you, you would in turn give us your broken heart for the nations. Lord, I pray, because there may be some here who have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I pray that you would stab them broad awake with your word this morning, that they might be converted to Christ. I pray for those who are numb, who, Lord, may even come here without sensing your presence for quite some time. I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you might, through your word, open the eyes of their hearts so that they might see your glory again. Lord, would you take this word and multiply it to meet the needs of so many in this room in ways that I can't. Lord, it's not about me. It's not about anybody but Christ Jesus. So I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit and power that I might preach your word faithfully so that Jesus would be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're the note-taking type, and I hope many of you are, which we might have the, the points up here that uh, we're going to be going through today, but if you want to break down the text, it's fairly, it's fairly easy. I think uh, we could do it in three basic parts. You have a petition in verses 1 to 2. This is the psalmist petitioning the Lord for blessing. It's a petition. Then you have an exhortation. In verses 3 to 5, you have the psalmist saying, let let, 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 let the nations praise you. Let, the, let them sing for joy. Uh, in essence, he's exhorting God to act on his own behalf so that his name would be praised among the nations. And then you have a declaration in verses 6 and 7, which is the answer to the petition, which is God our God blesses us. So you have a petition, you have an exhortation, and you have a declaration. Now what I want to do is deal with this text in three parts. And I want to ask three basic questions to get at the heart of what I think the psalmist is trying to show us today in this text. The first question is, what do the nations need? What do the nations need? The second question is, why do the nations need? And the third question is, when will the nations have? Now, you all have been in enough sermons to know that if the preacher spends a whole lot of time on the first point, it's likely going to be a very long sermon. But I want you to know, we're going to spend a long time on the first point and much less time, com uh, comparably, on the second and third point. So don't be afraid when we get to the end of the first point and it sounds like you've heard a whole sermon. Amen? Amen, somebody. Okay, here we go. What do the nations need? If I polled the audience this morning, the congregation this morning, and I said, what do the nations need? I imagine you would say salvation. Or something like it. And I would be in total and complete agreement with that. Because what the psalmist says in Psalm 67 too is he says that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all the nations. What do the nations need? Salvation. But when you're studying the Bible, one of the things that you want to do, and one of the things they teach you in a course called hermeneutics, which is just Bible interpretation, is you want to get to whatever the author was saying to his original audience. What's in the author's mind when he's talking about salvation among all nations? Well, don't forget that the psalmist is right here in the middle of the, of the scriptures, in the Old Testament period. And don't forget what's gone before. 
Because I think when the psalmist says nations, 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 what he's thinking in his head is Abrahamic covenant. Do you remember what God told to Abram in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17? If you want to, you can go there with me. We're going to read a couple of verses from Genesis 17. But don't forget that this is God who was dealing with a man named Abram, who was a pagan whom God called out of his pagan idolatry for no good reason except that God wanted to and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. You all tracking with me? This is Genesis chapter 12. Now in Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Listen to Genesis 17 verse 2 and then verse 7. God speaking to Abram. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their gener generations, watch this, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Listen to what God is saying to Abram, who he just changed to Abraham. I'm going to bless you in such a way that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth because I'm going to make a people through you and this people is going to bless all of the families of the earth with true knowledge of me and invite them into a covenant relationship whereby I will be their God and they will be my people. What's interesting about that is you find that same language at the end of the Old Testament in Jeremiah in what's called the New Covenant. Now don't go there. We'll come back to that. Why is it that God is repeating the same language that he did in the Abrahamic covenant in the new covenant in the prophetic period with Jeremiah? Because God's intention in this covenant was never fulfilled in the Old Testament. Listen, God's intention has always been to have a people who would take his glory and go global. Don't miss that. Go back to Adam and Eve. Here's God speaking to Adam talking about what he has called them to do as his image bearers. God made man in his image, in his own likeness. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what did he tell them to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, you don't have to think very long about what it means to be made in the image of God. You don't have to overthink it. There's a lot to be said for what it means to be made in the image of God. But it at least means this. It means that they were made to be a reflection of his glory. And where was that? A reflection of his glory over the entire earth. I want you, Adam and Eve, to reflect my glory. Be mirrors of my glory and multiply my glory in other image bearers all over the earth. Because I've made this world to be my kingdom. Now, how did Adam and Eve do with that? Not overly well. Not only did they not want to reflect his glory, they wanted to turn the mirror around and fall in love with themselves, right? Genesis 3, 5 is the root of all sin. Oftentimes we talk about sins. Listen, the root of all sin is this. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't you want to be your own God? 
What's wrong with the world? The world is filled with people who love their own glory instead of God's glory and want to be their own God. That's the problem with the world. So then God, in Genesis chapter 6, laments that he ever made man, floods the earth, kills everybody except for one family. And who was it? Noah and his family, and they come off of the ark. And if you read in Genesis chapter 8, in the, in the beginning of Genesis 9, here's what you're going to read. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same summons that God had given to Adam. This is like a new creation, Noah. Be my image bearer. Make reflections of me all over the earth. Take my glory and go global. How did Noah do with that? Not overly well. First thing he does is plants a vineyard, gets drunk, shows himself in his nakedness to one of his sons, and ends up that Canaan is cursed through Ham. At the end of primeval history in Genesis chapter 11, what do you have? Instead of going global with the glory of God, they're coming together to make a name for themselves. Called the Tower of Babel. Remember? So in Genesis chapter 12, God says, okay, I treated Adam like a son. I treated Noah like a son. Neither one of them took my glory and went global. So I'll make a people through this guy named Abram. And he does. And he says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, to Pharaoh, say to him, Israel is my son. And when they cross the Red Sea and they're coming into the, the promised land, they're going to walk through the wilderness. And at Sinai, here's what God says to them in what's called the Mosaic Covenant. If you'll obey me, I'll make you a kingdom of priests. In other words, if you obey me, I will make you the people through which I mediate my presence and my glory to all the nations. And even though it was sinful for them to ask for a king, God blessed them with the Davidic dynasty and said, I will mediate my kingly rule if you will but obey me and the nations will be invited in under my kingship. How did they do with that? Not overly well. Everybody 20 years and older dies in the wilderness in the generation that left the Exodus. The next generation makes another generation in the judges period that didn't even know what God did in the Exodus. And in the kings period, you find eight of 39 kings in the southern and northern kingdom that were considered just. Is that doing well? That's not doing well. So here's what God says. I treated Adam like a son. I treated Noah like a son. I treated Israel like a son. None of them took my glory and went global. I'll send my own son. And you get to Jeremiah 31, what's called the New Covenant, and I want you to listen to this language. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Does that sound familiar? That's Abrahamic covenant language. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I think the psalmist is looking at the nations and saying, God, let the Abrahamic covenant be fulfilled. But failure in Adam, failure in Noah, Failure in Israel, and God says, I'll send my own son. And the psalmist says, let your way be made known on the earth. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the true covenant representative that Paul tells us in Galatians that has made us, Gentile nations, true Israel. He did it. What do the nations need? 
They need to be invited in to be the covenant people of God through the way of God, Jesus Christ. Oh, they need to be saved. But I want to tell you that that's not where it stops. I just want to bless your heart this morning, the way this coffee has blessed my heart. This passage is what's called a chiasm, which is it's a Hebrew poetic device. It means that if you were to write it out on paper, the passage would look like an X or like an hourglass. It has an A, A1 part and an A2 part that reflects, a B1 part and a B2 part that reflects, and then a C part, which is the focal point of the whole psalm. Now, I know you didn't come here for that this morning. You're like, I'm not taking that home, and that's totally fine. But here's what I want you to see. Let's look at the passage together, and I want you to see this. Because if you see this, you'll see what the focal point of the psalm is. A1 part is verses 1, and, and then A2 part is verses 6 and 7. Look what he says. God be gracious to us and bless us. Now watch the reflection. Verse 6. The earth has yielded its produce. God our God blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. A1, A2. It's a reflection. B1, B2 is a reflection. Verses 3 and then verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see? It's a reflection. Then you have the C part, which is the part to which all of the psalm points. Look what it says. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. What do the nations need to be saved and belong to the covenant people of God, bought by the way of God, but don't miss this, so that they might have joy in God? Because ultimately, salvation is not just to take away punishment. Salvation is to invite me into a covenant relationship with God who is my satisfaction. I am concerned that our churches are filled with people who don't get that. I am concerned that our churches are filled with people who have made a decision at one point in their life for Jesus but really have no desire for him at all. And I want you to know that this is not an isolated text. The Bible roundly talks about the fact that we have been saved in order that we might know God because he's the satisfaction of our lives. Listen, for instance, to 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Why did Christ suffer? That he might bring us to God. That, that's why he died, so that you might have God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true and living God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> Listen. Salvation is not just about, I, I got my punishment taken away, and now I just enjoy all the same things I used to enjoy, but now I'll never be punished for it. 
That, that's not salvation. Salvation is, praise God, he paid my penalty. I'm not going to hell, but he has paid my penalty so that I might be invited in to a relationship with God whereby my soul is satisfied forever. And if that's not how you understand salvation, I would ask you and plead with you to look again at the scriptures. I'm afraid that we have a lot of people that want to go to a heaven that doesn't exist. Where there's no punishment, but there's also no God. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper end and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Do you believe that? Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Do you, and I'm not saying you don't struggle with this, we all struggle with this, but, but do you want Jesus more than you want anything else? Do you find more delight in him than anything else in your life? What do the nations need? Salvation to belong to the covenant people of God bought by the way of God so that they might have the joy of God. Because listen, this is why they're going to sing for joy. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. it says, Psalm 67, 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for. I, lo I love that word, for, because it helps you know why they're going to sing for joy. You shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Selah. Why will they sing for joy? Because of his person. Because they know him. I want you to imagine that somebody dropped you off in North Africa somewhere with a tribe that's not been reached with the gospel. And you go to them and you say, I want to tell you about a king and about a judge who will govern righteously. They've never known anything but tyrannical leadership and unkept promises and oppression and you say to them, I want to introduce to you a king and a judge who will govern righteously. And they ask you, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know he'll judge righteously? And the answer is, because he was judged for you. What judge do you know falls under his own righteous judgment for people who have hated him to his face? John 3.18 says this, He who believes in him is not condemned. That's the word judged, crino. He's not judged. But he who does not believe is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who believes in Jesus is not judged. Why? Because judgment was passed to him. We all love the story in John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery. It's one of our favorites, I'm sure, of course, Where's the guy? He should have been there too. But you remember the story. Jesus says, after riding in the dirt, hey, he, he was without sin, cast the first stone. And what happens next? This audience participation part of our program. What, what, what happens next? 
they all walk away, right? Starting with all, they all walk away. Rocks, rocks hit the dirt. Now, a lot of people think at this point the woman is safe. They're all gone. Actually, she's not. Because the only person who can rightfully stone her is still standing there. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And I don't think Jesus is saying, you know what, she doesn't deserve to be stoned. No, actually, I think he's saying she does, under Levitical law, deserve to be stoned. He was without sin cast the first stone. She's in more danger now than she was before. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? There are none. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know what that doesn't mean? Your judgment's, your judgment's been just swept under the rug. No, no, no. That means her judgment has been transferred. I don't condemn you because I'll be condemned for you. The judge was judged. So that rebels and sinners like us could be invited into the covenant people of God and enjoy God himself in relationship without fear of being judged, which we deserve. What do the nations need? Salvation to belong to the covenant people of God bought by the way of God so that they might have the joy of God and I pray with the urgency of God, because you know it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But if you stepped off of a plane, in about a third of the world, you wouldn't hear any of these songs. Uh, the Joshua Project tells us, and people have different metrics for how they deal with what, what constitutes an ethno-linguistic group. But nonetheless, there's about 19,000 ethno-linguistic groups and about a third of them remain unreached and unengaged. We are not the people who believe that they have an excuse just because they haven't heard. I remember sitting at a table at a church with a lady who should have known better and she said, well surely if they haven't heard they have I mean they're going to go to heaven, right? Paul won't let us get away with that because he says in Romans chapter 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness for that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made so that purpose calls, they are without excuse. There is nobody innocent and today... If the stats are right, 27,000 people who never heard his name will die and go into a Christless eternity. What do the nations need? Salvation bought by the way of God to belong to the covenant people of God so that they might have the joy and the person of God with the urgency of God. Because don't miss it, if God's plan has always been to have a people who would take his glory and go global, who are we? We have been brought in to be the true people of God. And he's saying, I have a purpose for you. Which brings me to the next part. Why do the nations need? Why do the nations need? We know what they need. Why do they need? I want to tell you that the answer to this question is clear, but it's not comfortable. It's clear. 
but it's just not comfortable. Listen to what um, the psalmist says in Psalm 67, 1, and then verse 6. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Then in verse 6 and then verse 7, it says, God, our own God, blesses us. God blesses us. The earth has yielded its increase. The point here is that the psalmist is petitioning the Lord for blessing and God is answering with blessing. Now, I want to ask you a very important question, and I think the answer is self-evidently true. Has God blessed us? You don't have to travel very long to know that. You don't have to go very far to realize God has blessed us. Has God blessed us materially? Let's put some statistics under that. Did you know that 50% of the world population lives on less than $2.50 a day? You can't get a coffee for that. 80% of the world population lives on less than $10 a day. There are 193 constituted nations in the world. America's gross domestic product represents about 30% of the world economy. Do we have problems here? Absolutely. But has God blessed us? Absolutely. Not only materially, but the fact that we live in a place where the gospel can be preached freely. He has blessed us. Yes, he has. The most important word in the text, though, gives us the purpose for the pleading. The most important word in the text is in verse 2. Listen to this. God be gracious to us and bless us, cause his face to shine upon us. Selah, that. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. In other words, why is the psalmist pleading for blessing? Because he wants the blessing to be turned around so that the name of Christ is known among the nations. There's a purpose attached to all of the provision that God is providing. Do you see this? There's a purpose. God bless us. That. And I think we've forgotten the that. I think we've forgotten the that. I think Jeremiah 2.13 sometimes might describe us. God is talking through the prophet, and he says this, Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, water and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, they have turned away from the fountain to try to find satisfaction in everything else, and because of that, they've missed the purpose for which I'm blessing them in the first place. You don't want to be like the fool, do you, in Luke chapter 12? Who says, you know what? I'm going gangbusters. I mean, my business is going nuts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns where I can store everything up and I'm going to tell my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you're a fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And to whom will belong all your stuff? Jesus said, that's what it's like for somebody who's not rich towards God. Why do the nations need? Because I think God's people whom he has blessed with both the means and the message have forgotten the purpose. We have the gospel. We have the means to take it there. 
But we have become so inwardly focused. And maybe you're asking yourself the question, why should we care in Callahan, Florida about the nations? We have problems here. Maybe you're asking, why does the psalmist care about the nations? So here's the third question we're going to answer. When will the nations have? What do the nations need? We know. Why do the nations need? It's not comfortable, but it's clear. The answer is us. We, God's people, have missed the purpose for which God has blessed us, and he's calling us back to this purpose to say, live radical lives for the sake of Christ among the nations. When will that happen? You might like C.S. Lewis. He said that God sounded to him like an old woman wanting compliments in the Psalms before he was a Christian. But he became a Christian. And then he wrote this about the Psalms. Listen to this. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children's, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Listen to this part. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? That is why social media works. Because the first thing you want to do whenever you have some great experience is go tell everybody about it. Is this not true? Man, you got to try this restaurant. Did you see that game last night? Come watch the game with me. A movie's funnier when you watch it with other people. There's something we do naturally when we enjoy something, we invite other people into it. Have you noticed that? No. Listen to what, this, what Lewis goes on to say. He said, the psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. He said, whatever you value is what you will share with others because here's what happens. When you invite other people into your experience, your joy grows. Why does the psalmist care about the nations? Because he is so delighted in God that he wants to invite everybody to taste and see it with him, knowing that when they come, his joy grows. When will the nations have? They will have whenever God's people escape idolatry and begin to delight in him. To taste and see Jesus so deeply and fully and lastingly that our hearts are disconnected from the idols of this world such that we have so much delight in him, we want everybody else to have it. And listen, if you don't care at all, and it would be good to be honest this morning, I don't care at all about the nations. I, if you don't care about the nation's praise this morning, here's the main problem. You don't delight in Jesus. If you delight in Jesus... Your heart will be drawn to those who need to taste and see him as well. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is to look at your entire life. 
And the takeaway is to go, Lord, where are my idols? I just need to get real with you. Let's do Psalm 139. Let's just do it together. Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then would you lead me in the way everlasting? Lord, I'm, I'm putting it all down. I might need to throw this thing away, throw whatever out. I just want you. And as you detach me from worldly idolatry and things I think I need, I'm going to find you to be sufficient. You're going to fill me in such a way that my joy is so deep in you. And then I, I'm going to care about the things that you care about. And listen, you know what is on God's heart? His name among the nations. Listen, not just because they are needy, but because he is worthy. He is worthy of the praise of 19,000 ethno-linguistic groups. He is worthy that they be gathered around the throne in Revelation 5. And would it be that our churches would be the ones that God used to bring in people from every tribe and tongue and nation so that when we're together around the throne, God will say, you didn't waste it. You didn't waste everything I gave you. You live for my sake among all peoples. I promise you we won't regret it in eternity. But you might be here. You might be here. And you might say, you know what? I don't know Jesus like that. I don't know Jesus like that. You may be, hey, listen, you could have been a member of this church for 64 years. That's how old the church is? 64 years. You could have been here the whole time. And today could be the day you go, you know what? It was never real for me. I need to know Christ. Maybe it's the first time you've been here. I need to know Christ. Listen, Jesus is here with arms wide open saying to you, I died for you that you might have me forever. So come. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Justin. Don't leave here without doing business with the Lord. God has spoken through his word. It's our turn to respond. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Do with it all that you would delight to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.